That means we get to stay. Praise God. You can be seated. I have a great appreciation for the diversity of ministries that God has given unto the church. The many dimensions of ministry operating in the body of Christ. And the many teachers to come. The many teachers to come. Is that you I'm talking to? Raise your hand if that's you I'm talking to. The many teachers to come. I won't belabor the point, but one more time. If you're one of those, stand to your feet. The many teachers, Bible teachers, to come. You are now and those to come. Amen. <laughs> Thank you. You may be seated. It is, uh, it's a treat to have Brother and Sister Berglund here with us today. We had a wonderful time of fellowship last night. And I would like to invite them to please come. Them to please come. Sister Berglund's father was a minister in Indonesia and started several churches. And she's the quiet one in the bunch. But we're going to just ask her really kindly. <laughs> if she would just greet us today so that you can get just a, an idea of what a precious person she is. Praise the Lord. I'm so glad to be here. And I'm so like, you know so happy to see all the a lot young people children and the presence of the lord is just like overwhelming me so thank you for having us praise god something about the presence of the Lord that it changes a meeting. You know, you, you can gather a group like this together, and if Jesus isn't there, you can have a good time, but it's, it's not the same. It's not the same. And I just so appreciate coming over to this side of the mountain. It, it was a mountain last night, I'll tell you. <laughs> and um, I guess they shut the past out after we got through. Amen. 
either we were fortunate or we're nuts. I'm not sure. It, that was that was a wonderful drive. But coming coming over here um, and knowing that we're gonna get together with our brothers and sisters here, it's it's so encouraging. And, and like my wife mentioned, um, there's people here we don't know. I mean, where y'all coming from? <laughs> you know, <laughs> keep this up. I mean, I, I feel a sense of revival on on this side, and that's a precious thing. It's like a fire, but I'm just going to tell you, you got to throw fuel in it, and you got to fan that. Do not assume anything when it comes to the presence of God. Amen. And just keep that fire burning. Well, are we ready for me, brother? I'm waiting to see. I typically use PowerPoint presentations. I was talking to Brother Schoonover last night and just telling him, um, you know why I do this? And I says, uh, because I got horrible eyesight, and I don't like to stare at notes. And I, I started using things years ago to just help me to um, stay on track, read scriptures. And then I started playing around with little things like rocket ships like that. And, and who knows where that'll go, <laughs> man. Last off. So we want to talk about Bible prophecy today. Um, I'm not sure if you know that that's why we're all here. But that's, that's what we're going to do. And when we talk about Bible prophecy, we need to kind of do a little level set, first of all. And so what you see on the screen behind me and I see on the screen in front of me is three numbers. The first number, if you can see the picture, it's, it's the rapture. The Lord's going to take the church out of here. And when he takes us, we're going to go to a, a meal. It's the marriage supper of the Lamb, the Bible calls it. And there's a lot of scriptures that we could go to on that. But that's not the topic of what I'm teaching here today. After the rapture, after we go to heaven, we're coming back to earth. Y'all know that, right? We're coming back down here to earth. And this is what that's going to look like. We see it in Revelation 19. I saw heaven open. Behold, the white horse, he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges, he doth judge, and make war. Jesus is coming back to this earth at the end of the tribulation period. And this prophecy goes all the way back to the book of Genesis, to the days of the flood. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all. And so when the Lord returns to this earth after having the marriage supper of the Lamb in heaven, he's coming back, not for, but with his saints. We will be with him, and we who had left this earth finding out that it's a, not for a long time, we're coming back down to this earth. At the return of Jesus, the redeemed from all ages will for the first time ever be united on this earth. You think that this is a gathering where you get a couple congregations together. Never in the history of this planet has every generation of the redeemed been together? I've never been with Moses. 
I've never met Abraham, but I've heard of him. I've never spent time with Peter, Paul, the other apostles. But the day is coming when we set our foot back on this planet. There's going to be a mingling. I don't know how long that's going to take, but there are some that I want to talk to. There are some, and I'm sure there's going to be a couple that are going to be looking for me too. <laughs> you know, Berglund! <laughs> but we are going to be together. That in itself is amazing. And there in our midst, Jesus, the Messiah. And while we're on earth, we've got things to do. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. The coming millennial dispensation. Why do we come back to earth? What are we doing here? What is a dispensation? When, when I say we're going to study and learn about the coming millennial, millennial is, it's a Greek word, it means thousand years. What is a dispensation? It is a distinctive arrangement or period in history that forms the framework to which God relates to mankind. That's a mouthful. <laughs> but that's what it said in the book that I copied that from. It's a period of time that is different than now, unique from all others, where God is going to relate to us through a method that he chooses. This is my wording. A new covenant period. It's a little easier. God's going to be with his people under a new covenant. The Apostle Paul used the word dispensation three times in the New Testament. And I don't have the whole scripture here. I just want to call out the point. He says that in the dispensation of the fullness of times. Another time he says the dispensation of the grace of God and finally, in Colossians, he says, the dispensation of God. And he goes on to explain in each of these verses what he's talking about, how that to him and the other apostles was given an understanding of how God expects people to relate with him during this time period. And this dispensation has been called the church age. That's a simple way to explain it. This is the time you go to church and learn about Jesus. The author of Hebrews uses the phrase new covenant when he's talking about the time period that we live in now. For this reason, Christ is the one who arranges a new covenant. Going down to verse 14, in the case of a will or testament, it is necessary to prove that the person who made it has died. A covenant is an agreement. It's a, it's a legal document. But the new covenant that we are under is called the New Testament. That's why the Bible is divided into the Old Testament and the New Testament. And a word testament, it's a will. If I were to make a will and I were to put your name on it and say that when I die, you get 50 bucks. Now you can get all happy about that. <laughs> But you're not getting the 50 bucks as long as I'm alive. Now, you may want me to die to get that money. I hope you like me better than that. 
there's a couple here like, come on, Brother Berglund, we need the money. <laughs> Jesus had to die for the new dispensation to come into effect. If Jesus hadn't died, we wouldn't be doing this of any value. This would be just another gathering of a bunch of Gentiles. But because Jesus died, the will is now in effect. Okay? And this new covenant, like all covenants, was brought in with blood. So let's talk about past, present, and future dispensations. There have been dispensations in the past. Adam and Eve, here on the planet, walking around the garden, didn't have a lot of things that they could not do. They had some things that they were told to do, take care of the garden and stuff like that. But that was the rules. After Eve went shopping without Adam, and she went into the fresh produce section, you know the story. That's why my wife and I shop together. <laughs> I don't need no trouble in my family. <laughs> Okay, Adam and Eve, and then after that, they got kicked out of the garden. A new dispensation was entered in. God killed an animal, robed them, the blood was shed, and then there was another dispensation. After that, there was another dispensation. And we see these throughout the Old Testament, all the way up to Moses on Mount Sinai, where the law was given, and that is another dispensation. But it all ended at Calvary. Or did it? As we look at the present age and the millennium that's coming, I've got a red square there to delineate or to show our present dispensation. But the reality is, it's a little more hazy like this. Many people think it's like that. Oh, it just happened. But if you study the Bible, you're going to see that the end of the law was when John the Baptist came. The, Jesus said the law and the prophets were until John. But the new dispensation didn't begin until Jesus died. Well, that's 30 some years. So there's that hazy period. And even when Jesus died, the new dispensation was not fully implemented until the Holy Spirit was poured out. And so there's this area between the ending of a dispensation, the beginning of a dispensation, that, you know, people can argue, well, when did this one end? When did this one begin? We've got that same thing going on in our ending of our dispensation. It, it, you know, we, we argue about these things. We, you know, it's like, I'm a little hazy on that. Okay, we understand that. I have my understandings. And the fact is, from when the church is removed, until we come back and there's a sheep and goat judgment, it's a hazy area. Okay? And then the millennium begins, and then after that, there's another hazy area. We can see that in Scripture. We see that there's going to be a rebellion. Satan's going to be released. And then there's going to be a great white throne judgment. How long is that? Anybody want to get into an argument with me how long the rebellion lasts? It's foolish to even think that way. We see a little bit, but we don't see a lot. It's like looking out the window at night. Matter of fact, this is the way the Apostle Paul says, For now we see through a glass darkly, 
but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know even as I am known. And as we get closer to the time, it seems like there's a little more understanding. There's a little bit more, but we're not there yet. And so even when I talk to you today about the millennium, I can give you some details. I can give you some facts, but I can't tell you a whole lot about it. But John says, beloved, now are we the sons of God. But it does not appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And when we are there, and we see Jesus, and we are like him, and we know what he's like, we're going to know what everything around us is like too. It's going to be a whole lot more clear. But I want to give you a look into what the Bible has shown us. So today, we throw open the window under a dark horizon, and I'm going to try to point out some of the things that are there. Paul says, I has not seen, nor ear heard, neither entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. So right up front, I'm going to tell you, it's going to be good. It's going to be better than this, and you can't imagine how wonderful it's going to be. But God has revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. My eyes have not seen, my ears have not heard, my heart can't comprehend it. But the Spirit of God shows us things. Which things we also speak, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Not with words which men's wisdom teaches, but with the Holy Ghost teaching, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. God has revealed them unto us by his Spirit. Now you say, well, Brother Berglin, how did God reveal anything to you by his Spirit? Like, woo. No, it's not ooh. I wish it was, but you know what it is? It's study, study, study. Pray about it, study. And so we're going to see how does God reveal these future things by his spirit. And to do that, we go to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. He that has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. This is how God reveals them to us. It's the Spirit revealing through his word, providing illumination. And look at what it says. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. I will give you the crown of life. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. What's been revealed? The curse of Eve. The curse of Eden. It's going to be removed. Think about that. I will give the right to eat from the tree of life. That was what they lost. They were kicked out of the garden so that they could not get to the tree of life. It's there in the paradise of God. And we'll have access to it because that's where we're going to be. 
in the paradise of God. If Adam and Eve had not messed up, and they still had great-grandkids like me, I would have gone to school in Eden. How much nicer that would have been than the school I went to back in Minnesota. Okay, but the curse of Eden will be removed. We're back in the garden. He that has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Him that overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. Upon him, the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which is coming down out of heaven from my God. No risk of future failure. This is something that Adam and Eve didn't have, and nobody has ever had this since then. You cannot fail, because it says, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, never again to leave it. Well, that's kind of a relief. So Susanna can go shopping in the fresh produce section, and I don't have to worry about her coming home and saying, honey, try this. It's not going to happen again. We have confidence that after this time of trial and judgment that has been going on all those times, it's going to be fixed and the problem, the, the leak in the boat, if I can put it that way, is going to be patched. It's not happening again. He that has a hear, an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. To him that overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me in my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my Father in his throne. The purpose of creation will be fulfilled. Sit with me in my throne. That's kind of mind-boggling, especially for me. Many years ago, as a young man, coming into the Pentecostal faith. And all I wanted was a safe place. All I was looking for was something stable and good and right in my life. And now I find out I'm going to be sitting with Christ in the throne. Oh, that's a little scary for a guy like me. And this, brothers and sisters, is why the devil hates me. Because that's what he wanted to do. And that's why the devil hates you. Because you're going to get, because of the grace of God, what he could not have because of pride. You wonder why he hates humans. Because he considers us worms. And he considers himself beautiful. And God has chosen worms. And he loves us. And we're going to sit with him in his throne. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him that overcomes. Has anybody noticed something here? To him that overcomes. Don't quit. If I can 
leave anything with you. I'm giving you a roadmap tonight, but don't quit. Stay with this. And does my will to the end. I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with a rod or an iron scepter. Will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my father. Oh, I will also give him the morning star, just in case you want that. Our millennial roles here are revealed. What are we doing on earth during the millennium? You're going to have authority over nations. You are going to have authority over nations. I'm going to have to turn around to read this one. Then I saw thrones, and those who sat on them were given the power to judge. I also saw the souls of those who had been executed because they proclaimed the truth that Jesus revealed in the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image, nor had they received the mark of the beast in their forehead or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. It's been called the thousand years of peace. And when that is over, after the thousand years, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. I've kind of jumped ahead right there. But there's a time when Jesus returns with his saints that there are thrones and those who sit on them are going to judge. And this is not in heaven. This happens on earth. Matthew, Jesus said, when the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory and before him shall be gathered all nations. Nations. And he shall separate them one from another as the shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. He shall say to the sheep on the right hand, but to the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them at his right hand, Come ye, blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. But this is on earth where he does this division. And rewards are then given out. Jesus told them a parable. He was almost at Jerusalem and they supposed that the kingdom of God was just about to appear. What I'm talking about here today, the apostles and the disciples of Jesus, this was front and center for them. This is why they were following Jesus. So even though for some of you this may sound a little new or even a little strange, if you would ask Peter or Bartholomew or Simon Zealots or any of those guys, they'd say, I'm in it for the kingdom. I'm in it for the kingdom. And so he told them that, here's a parable for those that are expecting the kingdom to happen right now. He said, there was once a man of high rank who was going to a country far away to be made king after which he planned to come back home. Well, who do you suppose that is? Before he left, he called ten servants, gave them each a gold coin, and told them, 
See what you can earn with this while I'm gone. Almost 50 years ago, when I came into Pentecost, I'm getting old. Almost 50 years ago, I didn't realize it fully then, but now looking back, I get it. God gave me something. He gave me what he considered to be a gold coin. And he looked at me and he said, see what you can do with this. And he left. And what have I done with it? What have I done with it? He gave you one. He gave you one. Every one of us got one. Where is it? Our pocket somewhere? I don't know. You got your gold coins? Could we all hold up our gold coin? See what you can do with this. You know, some people, you know, they wait for some mystical call to the ministry, waiting for God to tell me what to do. See what you can do with this. It's that simple. What liberty, what freedom. Here's a gold coin. See what you can do with this. Some people take it to McDonald's and get a Happy Meal, and that's it. Some people take it to the pawn shop. Some people lose it because they're careless. He that overcomes and endures to the end, we've already seen what they're going to get. And when we reach that point, he's going to say, pull out your coins. And there are going to be those that say, I got 10. He went away and there were those that didn't want him to be king. But the man was made king and he came back. At once, he ordered his servants to appear before him in order to find out what they had earned. First one came and said, Sir, I have earned 10 gold coins from the one you gave me. Well done, he said. You're a good servant. Since you were faithful in small matters, I will give you charge over 10 more coins? I want you to catch this. Ten cities. Oh, that's got to be a mistake. That's got to be a mistake. Cities? The second servant came and said, Sir, I have earned five gold coins with the one you gave me. You will be in charge of five cities. It sounds like we're going to have something to do. My dear wife, I don't often get a chance to hear her speak in public like that. Um, when she's alone with me, without a microphone, she speaks quite well. <laughs> we were discussing as I was putting this Bible study together a while ago, and I said, honey, when Jesus comes and takes us away, what are you going to do? She looks at me, she says, I'm going to fly around. That's nice. I'm going to fly around. I expect she's going to be in charge of cities. 
and you may have to fly around. Rewards, villages, towns, hamlets. Indonesian word is kota. Cities. Today, our cities, our governments, our municipalities are run by people that are inept. They don't have any guidance from God or any truth. And we see what a mess this world's in. But you are preparing by being faithful in that which is little to become rulers with Christ on this earth for a thousand years over incredible responsibility. See what you can do with this. Oh, you know, there was a time when I I wondered, why doesn't he just kill us and take us to heaven? I mean, you know, it was almost like a joke, you know, it was like, you know, if, if it's so wonderful to die and go to heaven, when we baptize him, why don't we just leave him under? <laughs> and that is why you do not want me to baptize you. <laughs> Full, total, complete immersion. <laughs> is he in heaven yet? <laughs> but God doesn't take us when he saves us. No, he leaves us here. And it's not because he can't take us or he doesn't want to take us. But he has to do something in us and through us. He is preparing us to rule. And believe it or not, what you do now with what little you've got is going to depend on what you get when you're there. And if you're slothful and lazy and lack of faith and lack of willing to do something for God, you're going to be disappointed. Wow, all of that. Using the gift that God gave me, I did the work of an expert builder and laid the foundation. Someone else is building on it. But each of you must be careful how you build. For God has already placed Jesus Christ as the one and only foundation. No other foundation can be laid. Some will use gold or silver or precious stones in building on the foundation. Others will use wood or grass or straw. What are you building with in this life? Because it's going to be tested. And it's going to be tested by fire. And the quality of each person's work will be seen when the day of Christ exposes it. On that day, the fire will reveal everyone's work. The fire will test it and show its real quality. But what was built on the foundation survives. The fire, the builder will receive a reward. But if your work is burned up, then you will lose it. Now, thankfully, Paul goes on to say this is not a judgment for salvation. He says, but you will be saved. But this is a judgment for what you're going to be doing in the future. This is a time of training and preparation. Use it wisely. 
you will not regret it. I got to turn around to read this one. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his Lord has made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season? Verily I say unto you, he will make him ruler over all his goods. What are you going to get when you go to the other side? Everything. Everything. Sitting in the throne with Christ. With the potential unlimited beyond what my mind can comprehend, what my ears can hear, what my heart's able to receive. Everything is mine to gain or to lose. Wow. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Of a truth I say unto you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. Change topic. Now we're going in a different direction. The book of Hebrews talks about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're familiar with these stories and we understand how that God called him out of Ur of the Chaldees and told him, I want you to just walk. Go, go on, go on, go on, beat it. And after a fashion, Abraham began to realize that he was looking for something. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whether he went. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> He's the first guy. And you got to hear this, honey. He's the first man that did not ask for directions. And I, in the faith of Abraham, am going to get lost. And I'm okay, honey. Don't worry. We'll find our way back. We got so lost on a trip once. I don't know what we were doing. We were talking and laughing and driving. Took a left, took a right. Down this road, 20 miles, 30 miles. We had to get out and ask directions on what town we were in. We had no idea. We couldn't even look. This was back in the days before GPS and stuff. We had, we had no idea. Are we going north, south? Are we still in the state? We got lost, just like Abraham. He sojourned, that's a nice word, in the land of promise. Is a strange, in a strange country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs of him of the same promise. For he looked for, catch this, a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. No, he looked for the same thing that you're going to get. A city. God's been promising this city thing for a long time. This is not new and unusual, which has foundations whose builder and maker is God. For now they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek a city. We're, so, we're looking for a city. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God accordingly with reverence and godly 
fear. As we, like Abraham, go through this life looking for something. It's a little hazy, it's a dark glass. I think it's a city. But let's, with reverence and godly fear, trod this path. Amen? I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. We're going to spend time with these guys. That's done. Now let's change the topic. Christmas is coming. It's going to be here this week, Saturday. Why was Jesus born in Bethlehem? It's a good question, valid. Why was Jesus born in Bethlehem? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. The government. He's going to be in charge of the government. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. And what does it say? Upon the throne of David, upon his kingdom, to order and establish it. Bethlehem is the city of David. That's why Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Because David was king. And Jesus was in line to the throne. So when Christmas comes around later this week, just think about that. He came here to rule. To sit on the throne of David. And again, i got to turn around. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, bring forth a son. Shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great shall be called the Son of the Highest. The Lord God will give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob. Huh. How do you like that? Jesus came to this earth to sit on a throne and he is of the line of David, the king, and he's going to rule over Israel, Jacob. Jesus will sit on David's throne. Let's take a look at Jeremiah. My wife tells me sometimes, your fonts are too small. <laughs> and if that's my biggest problem, honey, I'm a keeper. <laughs> Unfaithful people, come back. You belong to me. I will take you, one from each town, two from each clan. I will bring you back to Mount Zion. I will give you rulers who obey me. They will rule you with wisdom and understanding. Just a clue. That's you. You're going to be the rulers. Then when you become numerous in that land, people will no longer talk about my covenant box. They will no longer think about it or remember it, the Ark of the Covenant. They will not even need it. They will not make another one. When the time comes, Jerusalem will be called the throne of God, the Lord. And all nations will be gathered there to worship me. They will no longer do what their stubborn, evil hearts tell them. In Zechariah, when Jesus came into Jerusalem that Palm Sunday, 
Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just, having salvation, lowly, riding upon an ass, upon the colt, the foal of an ass. We're familiar with the story. He came to Jerusalem for one purpose that day. To sit on the throne of David. He came to rule. And this is what happened. But that's why they nailed on his cross, King of the Jews. Wow. He came to rule. And he was crucified. And some people think that that totally changed everything. That totally changed the plan of God. But look at what Paul reveals to us. I proclaim a message of wisdom to those who are spiritually mature. But it is not the wisdom that belongs to this world or to the powers that rule this world. The wisdom I proclaim is God's secret wisdom. None of the rulers of this world knew this wisdom. If they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Or as the devil said when Jesus raised from the grave, oops, <laughs> that's... The first word that we heard the devil say, oops, my bad. <laughs> because he then released a lion. The lion of the tribe of Judah. If Jesus had not been crucified, then we Gentiles would be outside the covenant of God at this time. But Jesus came to rule. He was crucified, king of the Jews. And the door was open to us. What grace, what mercy, what opportunity. And he began handing out gold coins to each of us. And the first thing that you should say is, I'm worthy. I'm worthy, but thank you. What can you do with this? When it cost him that much for those coins some of us take so lightly. We want to look elsewhere in Scripture for some spirit illumination. We're going to turn to two books in the Old Testament. The first one is Zechariah, and the second one is going to be Isaiah. We've already seen how Zechariah prophesied so much about the king coming to Jerusalem. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for lo, I come, I will dwell in the midst of thee, saith the Lord. The whole plan of God was that Jesus would come to this earth to reign and live in Jerusalem. He said, I'm going to be there in the midst of you. Zechariah 1, 14. So the angel that communed with me said unto me, Cry thou, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Jerusalem, and for Zion with a great jealousy. Cry yet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, My cities through prosperity shall yet be spread abroad, and the Lord yet will comfort Zion, and yet will choose Jerusalem. The prince of the power of the air, the rulers of this time, Satan and demons, and God's cities are a mess. God's nations are a mess. And I'm going to get political here, 
But you know, some of us have even put our trust in political parties to think that maybe they can fix it. I am waiting for Jesus. Church, do not let Satan divide us over the left or the right when neither have an answer. Neither of them. One may be more wrong than the other, but in my world, wrong is wrong, and Jesus is going to come to fix it, and he's going to put over the cities and over the nations those that are prepared and able to rule, and it's you! You are going to take the place of those right now that sit in Washington, D.C. and offer us nothing but confusion and lies. Think about that. It's something to pray about. Something to get excited about. God's jealous. And he's going to have his way. Let's say it's the Lord of hosts. I was jealous for Zion with great jealousy. I was jealous for her with great fury. Thus saith the Lord, I am returned to Zion. I will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth. The mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. The first time he came, they killed him. But he says, I'm coming back. And I'm coming back. And this time, I'm coming with fury. And I'm going to rule. And it's under that spirit under that understanding that when Jesus rose from the dead and he taught his disciples things pertaining to the kingdom of God that finally they couldn't hold it in any longer and they said Jesus will you at this time restore the kingdom back to Israel Jesus said nope it's not for you to know when that will be after saying this he was taken up into heaven. But a couple of angels were listening. Two men dressed in white stood beside them and said, This Jesus who was taken up into you heaven, he'll come back in the same way you saw him go to heaven. He's coming back, don't worry. He's got this all figured out. He's going away so that a group on the east side of Washington can go through basic training and eternal life preparation. He's gone for you. Jesus, come back. He's like, I'm just waiting for you to get some muscles. <laughs> come on. Go to the gym. This is the gym. This is the gym. The Lord will bring all nations together to make war on Jerusalem. The city will be taken. The houses looted. The women raped. This is at the end of the tribulation. Half of the people will go into exile, but the rest of them will not be taken away from the city. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fought in times past. And at that time, he will stand on the Mount of Olives to the east of Jerusalem. He's coming back, and he's going to stand in the same spot where he left from, when the disciples were saying, Lord, are you going to set up the kingdom now? And when he comes back, he's going to turn and he's going to say, now. Now's the time. And not only am I ready, you're ready. You're ready for this. And let's take a look at what it's going to be like. Prophecy in Isaiah. 
In those days, the mountain where the temple stands will be the highest one in all, towering above all the hills. Many nations will come streaming into it. He will settle disputes among great nations. They will hammer their swords into plows, their spears into pruning knives. Nation will not go to war, never prepare for battle again. It's the thousand years of peace. Many nations will come streaming in to Jerusalem. At that time, when the Lord will make every plant and tree in the land grow large and beautiful, all the people of Israel who survive will take delight and pride in the crops that the land produces. Everyone who is left in Jerusalem, whom God has chosen for survival, will be called holy. The tribulation is going to be a horrible time, but not everyone's going to be killed. And there will be those who survive. And God says, that's who I'm going to work with. Now, that's not you. These are those that are left after the tribulation on this planet. But you came back with Jesus at the end of the tribulation. And you came back to rule over cities and nations. I got to turn around again. The wolf will lie down with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the kid. The calf and the young lion, the fatling together. The little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear will feed. Their young ones will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like an ox. The sucking child shall play at the hole of the asp. The weaned child put his hand in the cockatrice den. They shall not hurt nor destroy at all in my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. The earth. We're not talking about heaven. We'll talk about heaven later. But we're, not gonna, we're talking about a thousand years on this planet after Jesus returns with us. And the earth is going to be filled with the knowledge of God. And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord, will punish the hosts of the high ones that are on high and the kings of the earth upon the earth. And they shall be gathered together as prisoners are gathered in the pit and they shall be shut up in prison. God's going to change things. But I want you to notice this right here. The Lord of hosts shall reign in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem before his ancients. Gloriously. Who are these ancients? Who are these that are going to be with him during that reign? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Peter, Paul. Schoonover, flowers, heart. You, you, you. How ancient will you be? You're never going to die. You're going to get pretty old. You are going to be around for the duration of this. Not true for the people that are on the earth, though. Did you know during the thousand years of peace, people will die? During the thousand years of peace, did you know that people will be born? We're not going to be having kids. Jesus already told us that. But we as rulers are going to live forever. But let's take a look at some of this stuff. Someday there will be a king who rules with integrity and national leaders who govern with justice. Again, we're reading from the Bible here, right? 
national leaders who govern with justice. Each of them will be like a shelter from the wind and a place to hide from the storms. They will be like streams flowing in a desert, like the shadow of a giant rock in a barren land. Their eyes and ears will be open to the needs of the people. They will not be impatient any longer, but they will act with understanding and will say what they mean. Who's that talking about? It's you. You will be the national leaders who have the wisdom and have the ability and the patience to guide this world for a thousand years. You say, well, Brother Berglund, I'm kind of with your wife on this one. I just thought I was going to go to heaven, sit on a big cloud of cotton candy, and eat marshmallows. Sorry. I'm sorry. God created this earth to be inhabited. And God created people to be on this earth. Now, at some point, that will end. But this next dispensation that we are going into, we have a job to do. Now, I hope that doesn't disappoint anybody here. Is there anybody here that's so lazy that you do not want to rule and reign with Christ and that you don't want to inherit all things and you don't want to have such great wisdom that you can solve all the problems of this planet and the human race, please raise your hand. Good. I'm talking to the right people. We're safe here. Okay. And I'm, I'm winding down here in a little bit, so don't get too worried. They shall build houses. Who saw that coming? On the new, on the, on the earth. Jesus comes back. We're looking for some carpenters. Now, I don't know that that's going to be our job, but there's going to be construction going on. Mine elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They've got stuff to do. These are the seed of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring. People are going to be born during the millennium. I've got mixed emotions on this. I'm going to be honest with you. There's a part of me that would like when I die that I just kind of enter into some weird zone. <laughs> and for eternity, just <laughs> But then there's another part of me that I want to smell the earth. I want to feel the rain. I want to see the clouds and I want to watch the harvest grow. And I want to watch children play. And there's a part of me that almost cries out, Lord, I don't want to die because I love life. Am I the only one that sometimes have talked to God and said, Lord, this is good enough? Am I, am I the only one that's ever said that? I love being with my family. I love watching my children grow up. I, want, I love teaching. And that other part of me that says, you'll get all of that. You're going to get all of that, only it won't be frustrating. It won't be difficult. It, you're not going to have the, the pushback. You're not going to have the fight. Can you imagine not fighting with your wife for a thousand years? 
okay, I said it. You're going to be with your wife. What if? What if? You're going to be with your wife. You better start remembering her anniversary. That's all I could say. You better start treating her right. You're going to be with that girl for a thousand years. Is that my time? <laughs> look, at what, look at what God says. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. God says, I've got such good things in store for you guys. You are going to be so thrilled when you see what I've got. But you know, we do not find in Scripture any reference to Jesus or the church going back to heaven after they come to judge until after the thousand-year reign of Christ and he's done sitting on the throne of David. We just don't find us back in heaven during that time. But it's going to be okay. We are currently in preparation. We are currently in training for our future assignments and rewards during the millennium. Jesus said it like this. Behold, I come quickly. My reward is with me to give every man according to his work. Feels a little different now, doesn't it? Feels a little different. And so, the millennium will come to an end. That thousand years is going to flash by like a day, I guarantee it. I'm going to keep a calendar, and it'll be like, <laughs> another 50 years and this is done. I'm, Lord, I'm sorry, I, do I really have to go to heaven? I'm kind of liking this, you know. I've got the whole thing working out pretty good for me now. And the Lord's like, don't, don't stress it, Mel. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. And then Satan's going to be loosed. And we're going to find out that those, not, not the church, not the, not the ancients, but those that lived on this earth in a mortal condition, they're going to rebel. And they'll be like, how is that possible, Lord? And it's like, that's the need for redemption. That's the need for God to get in the heart. Because even a thousand years with Jesus in the midst and some of the best teachers and rulers, people will still follow Satan. And then Satan's going to be bound. There's going to be a white throne judgment. Everything passes away at that point. When the thousand years are expired, Satan will be loosed out of his prison. That devil that deceived them will be cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever. And we, at that time, will understand why there's a hell. There's no other way. There's just no other way. And I saw a great white throne, and then it sat upon him from whose face earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth, they passed away. And there was no more sea. And I heard a great voice out of heaven. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. 
he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself shall wipe away all our fears. He will be with them and be our God. He that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. He said unto me, Right, for these words are faithful and true. And one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of seven last plagues came to me and he said, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. The Spirit took control of me. The angel carried me to the top of a very high mountain. He showed me Jerusalem, the holy city, coming down out of heaven from God, shining with the glory of God. The city shone like a precious stone, like jasper clear and crystal. Listen, says Jesus, I'm coming soon. I will bring my reward with me to give each one according to what he has done. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to announce these things to you, to the churches. I have descended from the family of David. I am the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. Everyone who hears this must also say, come. Come, Lord Jesus, go out into the streets and tell people, come. That's all we've got to say. This is my last slide. Jesus was gathered with a group of his students one day. They asked him, why can't people get this? Why is it so hard? Jesus says, because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, it's not given. To everybody within the sound of my voice, you have your foot in the door. I don't know why you're here. I don't know why you have faith. I don't know why you come to Jesus Christ for salvation. But to you is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom. The Apostle Paul, thinking on these things, said, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Don't get distracted. Who do I turn this over to? I think we should stand together. And talk to the Lord right now. Would you do that where you're at? There's much has been shared but is a work of the spirit we receive the word with our spirit if we try to process everything in our intellect but we receive it in our spirit there's something the Lord is preparing us for he's been preparing us for he's inviting us to participate in the work of his kingdom that's why we can't just go through religious routine or tradition we're desiring to fellowship with him
in preparation for what he intends it's beyond even our understanding i'm opening this altar to you today would you like to find a place and commune with your creator commune with the maker commune with the lord in the name of jesus if you want to turn your seat into an altar would you do that i think it's time to talk with the lord about what you've heard maybe it's a place of repentance maybe it's a place of renewed commitment Perhaps it's a place of seeking the face of God. But would you find that place and talk with the Lord right now in this altar there at your pew? Let the Word of God be sealed in our hearts today. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, we worship you, Lord. We thank you for your Word. We thank you for the privilege of you investing in us today. For the abiding, dwelling Spirit of God we receive today. We worship you this morning. We worship you this morning. Awaken us to the reality that this life is only temporary. And you're preparing us for something that is eternal. That our lives align with your word and your will. That we would walk in the eternity that you intend for us. Your purpose and your plan being realized in us and through us, we pray. Laying aside the weights and the sins that could so easily beset us. And running with patience this race that's set before us. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Embracing and receiving the lessons of this life, Lord understanding God maybe not fully but some glimpses have been given us today that what we're going through in this life is simply preparation for your plans for us anoint our minds today anoint our spirit today Lord I pray an anointing and a clarity in the Holy Ghost by the word of God and by the spirit of God let us not be slothful Lord Let's not be casual, but I pray the leading of the Spirit in each one of our lives individually and in us as a body of believers collectively to do the work of the kingdom. To do the work of the kingdom in the name of Jesus, I pray. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. we pray we desire your will and your work we desire renewed focus in our thoughts in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus come on you're not waiting on me you're just talking with him fellowshipping him Letting Him illuminate things in your spirit, quickening this word to your heart and mind, sealing this word in our spirit. Perhaps even the Spirit of God dealing with us about priorities, the Spirit of God dealing with us about how we've been living our life and how we would begin to live our life. Not just living for the here and now, but living for what He has ordained. Jesus, we seek Your face today. Jesus, we seek your face today. We 
seek your face, your kingdom, your will, and your plan, Lord. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. sovereign and he is mighty 
would there be some that would just come and bend their knee in an acknowledgement to his greatness come on would there be some here in the house that would just come and bend their knee to him he is the mighty God he is the everlasting father come on in our smallness let us get little before him
Hallelujah. Can we all stand? Amen. I'm going to encourage you to just lift your hands up to the Lord. Lord, I thank you. You're the King of all kings. You're the Lord of all lords. You reign on high forevermore, Jesus. There is no God like you. There is no God like you. You are my king. Come on, just express that to the Lord. You are my king. You are my king. Oh, I yield myself to you, God. I want you to be formed in me, Lord. I want your work to be done in me and through me. God, I want your spirit to accomplish its purpose in my life. Oh, in the name of Jesus, let the will of God be done. Let the will of God be done. Oh, there's no God like you. There's no God beside you. There's no God before you. Like you, there is no other. Hallelujah. Amen. I believe the Lord, as much great thing as He has done today, I believe He has started a work today. He has started a work today. Amen. If you believe that, would you say amen? I'm going to take it. Amen. Amen. This great work that He has begun in us. Amen. We yield to that and we expect it. We expect it to bring forth much. Amen. Amen. I thank you, Brother Berglund, for ministering to us today. Amen. Amen. I encourage you. Remember these words, all that's been said today. Remember this. Let the Lord continue this work that he started today in us. Amen. Amen. Praise God. God bless you. Greet one another. You are dismissed in Jesus' name.